0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Peak Earth. I'm your host, Case Bradford. Episode ahead is with Stephen Arena, known as Really Tan Man on the Web. Steve shares his journey from working in big tech, being paid well, not being challenged, not being fulfilled, shifting to having his arms deep in tallow, working to help change our food system by creating quality foods prepared in traditional ways. His mission is to realign the way that we see health food, creating options that taste better and are healthier than the junk food alternatives. And right now he's creating masa chips. Just listen to this crunch when you bite into masa chips. It's the crunch heard around the world that echoes across time and space. And you know, I'm not, sponsored by masa chips or anything. This isn't a masa commercial. What I'm what I'm hoping to convey is that these are a different sort of product. It's, it's a new health food on, on the marketplace. I've been working in the health food space for seven years. I've never seen anything like it. And we also talk about the controversial seed oil sensitivity card. We dive deep into the economics of the grocery industry and why good food is so expensive it's fascinating i appreciate you tuning in hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you to everyone who has shared an episode of peak earth across the interwebs or left a five-star review on apple or spotify really warms my gizzards so thank you for everyone who has warmed my gizzards and without any further ado hope you enjoy this episode with really tan man Stephen arena all right, I'm here today with Stephen, known as Tanman Online. How's it going?
1: Good. What's going on? Happy to be here.
0: Absolutely stoked to to connect with you. You made a ton of brilliant content online, and you're the founder of multiple products. Yeah. And I'm excited to learn a little bit more about your story and, and how you got into this space and and the the passion that drives you to to create all this.
1: Cool. I've been. It, it's been it's been fun. I've I've been on social media for about like I think a year and a half now but only more recently have started to actually do any sort of business related things, uh, based on that. Um, so yeah, it's been a long process, but it's, it's getting to the good part recently. It's, it's exciting. I see, I see a bag
0: of of masa chips in the background. I've got, I've got a bag here as well. Oh hell yes. Yes.
1: (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's, um, oh man, what do you think of them? How do you like them? Incredible. I was actually going to open one up and eat it on
0: mic so that anyone listening could hear that crunch, but I'll do it in the intro just so no one has to hear me chewing with the podcast. Because nice. So by the time you listen to this now, any listener will have already heard
1: the crunch and you know that it really just, it's amazing. It's got impact. It's audible. It's an audible product. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was, that was an unintended consequence. I don't exactly, Honestly, I don't even exactly know what caused it. I don't know if it's like just the thickness of the tortillas, which comes from like the good corn that we use, or if it's like the tallow itself that causes the crunch. But it's like, I don't know, a normal a normal Tostito or something. It like, it kind of, it doesn't have a, it's, it's not loud. It like, it like breaks, you know, it's like falls apart. But like these things, it's like, you, they'll echo, you know, it, it, and microphones will really pick up on that. It's going to be exciting.
0: <laughs> yes. And it, it, that makes for a hefty dip too. You can really load up. On you know guacamole, yeah. salsa, sour cream, without worrying about that chip breaking off into there, which is just you know that's game over. Yeah,
1: high utility, right? That's like an underappreciated quality of chips. Everyone's always like, I mean, obviously people care about cost. And then it's like, okay, is it organic? Okay, is the oils, the salts, the seasonings? But like, no one's paying attention to like how sturdy it is. And you know, if you have chunky guac or chunky salsa, like you need something that has a bit more uh, uh, tensile strength or whatever that's called, <laughs> structural integrity. That's the that's the term. Yeah.
0: It's funny because my, my girlfriend, Fiona, is a, a chef and a health coach, and she makes a ton of food-focused content primarily through Instagram and, and TikTok, and she found out about it just through the grapevine and, and got a bag, signed up for the affiliate program, and I've been and amazed by, by trying it out. We get a ton of boxes just like coming, coming to the house. So just trying these different products. And these, these are one of the standout ones out of like the nice. hundred or so that have come
1: through. Nice. Nice. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff out there in the health space and it's good to hear like the, this, I think one of the things I'm pretty happy with is like how different it is. It's like, I don't know. There's a lot of, there's a lot of similarity out there. I don't need to get into specifics, but like, I'm really happy with just how distinct these were. Um, I think it it adds a lot because it's not like, you know, you can get it anywhere else. It's like, like for me, this is like honestly life-changing. That's why I did it because I just couldn't eat chips. I haven't been able to eat chips for like years. And it was, it's funny, corn chips specifically were the last thing that I was able to, that I like, I struggled to give up because I'm just like, I need a snack, like a carb that I can eat with like cheese or something that's like convenient and like lunch. Like I don't want to cook for myself, like every single meal. Um, And so but, you know, the seed oils, man, I had to do it. And so I went for about like two years chip free. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm tired of this. Like, there's no reason why these can't exist. There's no reason why you can't make it with like real ingredients. Um, and so then I did. And it was just like from the first prototype, I was like, all right, we have to we have to spread this. Oh, we have to spread this around. Like, people need to know about this. So I'm curious about that,
0: that prototype process. It sounds like maybe you were making it on your own in the kitchen. And then,
1: yeah, literally from there, we're just like, hold on, let's let's get this to the people literally made it on my own. Oh, well, I mean, I, I, my family helped, but so, um, it's funny. So the idea came about to make these, I think, uh, in January. So it was me and a bunch of friends at new year's and, uh, some of them who are less like health conscious than I did, like ordered sort of taco things like on Uber eats or whatever. And they were like munching away at their chips and like someone offered me them. And I'm like, yeah, there's no way like they smell good. They look good. They're crunchy. Sure. But like, I'm not, I'm not poisoning myself. I know what oils these people are using. Um. So then you know that conversation sort of led into like this whole hey maybe we should start a brand and like make these ourselves and then in the subsequent research because like none of us have any experience in this industry <laughs> i've never made like a packaged food product or packaged anything product before um so you we were like trying to figure out how to do it and we were like okay everyone you know gets them made like so that's called co-packing c-o-p-a-c-k that's like that's like the thing co-packing is like when you white label some factory to like make your product and put your brand on it and then like you ship it out and so we kept contacting with these co-packers like talking to people like hey i want to make a chip they're like okay fine and then i'm like i want to fry it in tallow and they're like what (laughs) um and we did not get i'll just say we just did not get very much traction with that and so at some point we're like okay you know if we're gonna do it we have to just do it ourselves and so then i just like that day i decided to like order uh one of those turkey fryers like from Amazon um, and just like got a bunch of tallow together. And then at my parents' house, I was back home visiting uh, for Easter this year. So like in April, and I just like got some organic tortillas and like chopped them up and like made chips deep fried in the tallow with the turkey fryer on like the deck in my parents' backyard. And I gave them to my family at Easter. And everyone was like, even the healthy, even the, like the non-healthy people, like everyone loved them. And I was like, damn, we, we are onto something here. Um, and so, yeah, that was the first prototype. Cool. That's, that's an awesome, awesome story. And I guess to trace it back
0: a little bit further, you were aware of the seed oils and the damage oh, done sure. from, from the yeah. tacos and the delivery that everyone was eating. What, what yeah. led to your sort of health
1: conscious, your, your awareness on that mm-hmm. level? So similar to a lot of people, I think. And th- this comes, this is like a, a broader issue, right? Like the people who are interested in health typically always had some sort of health problem themselves. Not everyone, but a lot of people. Um, And like, I've been to like the sort of nutrition, health conferences, food conferences, whatever. And it's like, you always meet people who are like I had like Lyme disease or I had this disease or I had like multiple sclerosis. And I was like, I wanted to die. And then they're like, oh, but then I discovered like holistic health or whatever. And I like healed myself of all these things. Like, You never really go down that rabbit hole if you didn't have sort of problems of your own, I think, because it's like you have no reason to, right? If you, um, and I had plenty of friends in college like this, they would just like go out partying to like 3 a.m. and drink like an ungodly amount of booze and then just like wake up and like, yeah, they may be a little hungover, but they'd be fine. They would go to class, go to the dining hall, eat the seed oil food at the dining hall, like, you know, go about their life. And like, you know, they're kind of indestructible, at least for a time, right? Because they're like 20 years old. Um, and I was never one of those people. I was, as a kid, a bit more, uh, shall we say fragile? I got sick a lot. Um, I was always congested. I like, you know, got the flu all the time. I had stomach problems and, and these sort of things. So then when I finally learned when I was in college, like to cook for myself, I realized that like what I was eating was like affecting how I felt because I actually put the food, you know, in the pan and then ate it. And then I could evaluate how I felt in relation to that afterward. And I started noticing patterns. Like if I ate X, I felt Y. And if I ate A, I felt B, you know. Um, And so I started realizing like, hey, if I eat certain things the way that I feel that I've always felt from childhood, which is like kind of sickish and like sort of sluggish and tired and whatnot, like that goes away. And that was a big realization because then I knew that, hey, if I could just like keep optimizing this, then I never have to worry about like any sort of health issues from like an acute standpoint. Like I'm not going to get the flu. And you know, when I'm old and gray, like I'll be able to like be around for my grandkids and and have like a a viable life. Um, So that's how it really started. And then from there, I was just like consumed all possible information. And this was about, I think, eight years ago. Um, And in that time, I was like, I never, I was never vegetarian. I was never vegan, but I did do pretty much all the trends over the past eight years. So there was the grain-free, the gluten-free, the paleo, the keto, the fermented foods, like the kefir, the sourdough bread. Like, I was there brewing kombucha, like, in my dorm in college, like, having girls over and saying, like, hey, do you want a kombucha cocktail in, like, 20, 2018, probably? Like, that was me. Um, and, and, yeah, so, ultimately, I kind of settled on this whole idea that, like, the only thing that really matters when it comes to food is just, like, quality and, like, this idea of history. Um, anything that's, like, modern or comes from, like, an industrial setting whether that is industrial farming or like a literal processed factory food, all of that's garbage. Um, but if you eat quality foods that are prepared in ways that are traditional, then uh, you know, you don't really have to worry about much. Obviously some things some people may have more of a sensitivity to, sensitivity to than others, but at the same time, having a robust system is the goal of health. It's like you should be able to tolerate sourdough bread or, you know, a, organic heritage, nixtamalized corn chip fried and tallow, like healthy people should be able to tolerate all these things fine. Um, certainly, you know, you should eat more things. You should eat like probably the fewer grains than other things and certain other rules, but the quality is the most important thing. And that's kind of what I've come to learn over the past, like I would say three years. And that's what I mostly promote now.
0: Absolutely. And I, I have a real similar story. I mm-hmm. did get uh, hoodwinked into the more plant-based uh living for a while and it mm-hmm. had that feedback over time it, it was a long-term feedback where eventually i was like well this is not <laughs> this is not good and it's not it yeah, had, yeah. Had, had to switch back but how long were you a vegan for so I, I never went i think i went strict vegan for like a month but i'm not someone who does anything like super disciplined so it was, oh, it was more right. of just like this idea of plant-based where it's like if i minimize sure. meat that's good oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so it was like sure. this constant kind of back and forth where um, just trying to think that like the goal of, you know, health was, was less meat and you know, yeah. ecosystem wise, but then that concept of regenerative agriculture was just like so mm. mind blowing. And I was like, oh no, this
1: is the real deal getting out there yeah. and seeing it,
0: you know, in action.
1: Regenerative agriculture, that's the vegan killer. Like, cause like, I think even the vegans from their own point of view, like I don't like their arguments on nutrition are not the most robust, um, I mean, the history of veganism, like even in the modern day is like not one of, you know, like physical health, like that's not why they promote it. They, the heritage of like modern veganism comes from like certain, you know, Eastern mimicking spiritual practice, um, as well as the supposed environmental, you know, argument that I think contemporary audience really cares about. Um, and so. You know, you could say they could even admit that like, oh, yeah, sure. Maybe meat's healthier, but I care about the planet or I have ethics or whatever. Uh, but the cool thing about regenerative agriculture is that that is like, a you know, a giant middle finger to those arguments. Um, and it really is like you, you can't you can't argue against that one. Like that's that's the truth right there. Um, so, yeah, I definitely heard a lot of I met and encountered many like former vegan plant based people who like once they really learned about regenerative agriculture and like the different types of farming and not just like all meat is bad because it's a factory farm uh that's when they like sort of realize that hey maybe this isn't the uh the best decision it really is it's
0: so powerful just once you get to that that source of of the food and and the process and really the generator of quality that you mentioned before it's like well what is what is that quality that we talk about because you Mm -hmm. can definitely taste it you know you can sense it but like Mm -hmm. if you try to if you try to describe it it have to it have to be with you know the love and care that from from sprout to plate, you know, from yeah. soil to your stomach.
1: Yeah. It's hard to have, like, a checklist. Um, so, like, we ran out of our eggs that we get from a farm at the farmer's market every um, every week. Um, and so my girlfriend and I had to go to, like, Whole Foods. And we get, like, if we, if we have to go to Whole Foods, which is a rare occasion. But if we do, I'll get the Vital Farms, like, brown eggs, like the brown carton. So they're organic and they're, like, raised and blah, blah, blah. And like the yolks are pretty orange. They're like on paper, the best eggs you can get at whole foods. But like, I, I'll eat, I ate them and I'm like, yeah, they're good. But the ones from the farmer that we get like on a weekly basis, it's like, they might, they're not as orange actually, but like, I just devour them. You know, there's just something about them. It's like, they're just so juicy or like, I don't even know what it is. Like, I can't describe a specific like taste attribute that they have that makes them so appealing, but I will just tear into those things. Whereas the Vital Farms eggs, even though like they may check off some arbitrary like consultant food management checklist, um, they're they're just not as good, and there's it's not so easy to find, and that's why like the the market like the economy and whatever like has a hard time dealing with it because like things need to be easily categorizable uh, for that system to function as is, um, and because they're not easily like things in reality are not easily categorizable. Um, then you end up with a whole bunch of confusion around like what's good and what's bad.
0: Yeah, talk about confusion, walking into an egg aisle in the supermarket. There's
1: like yeah.
0: 15 options. <laughs> it's yeah. like all seems pretty good.
1: Yeah, I, it's funny. I've been reading this book called Grocery, the buying and selling of food in America, I think that's what it's called. Um, and the guy talks, he's like interviewing these like grocers, like this third generation, like family in the Midwest who owns a grocery store. And they are talking about how like, you know, 40 years ago, there was just eggs, you know, eggs were eggs and maybe there was like small, medium and large. And then now it's like, there's 15 types of eggs, you know, there's pasture-raised, there's organic, there's all these things. Um, and he's like, it's so confusing. Customers don't know what the hell is going on. Like, this is so annoying. He's like sort of complaining about it. Um, I think it's funny. It's like, it's, it's a, it's a tr- attempted answer to the problem of like, Hey, quality is obviously different between eggs or, you know, obviously in general. Uh, but how do we define it, right? So instead of saying, okay, these are good eggs or, you know, oh, I really like these eggs or whatever, they start saying like, oh, these are organic eggs. and Oh, these are cage-free eggs. And oh, these are pasture-raised eggs and all these different subcategories, which like it's trying to solve the problem of like not being able to know which is like the best version of eggs, but it doesn't solve them. It doesn't solve the problem because now you just have a whole bunch more categories. And it's still like, okay, it's pasture-raised, but like, what does that mean? Are they pasture-raised and... You know, they're fed, supplemented with feed of some kind in the pasture, which most chickens are. Um, well, what is the feed? You know, all these. So, And you can, you can just keep zooming in. It's like fractals. You know, you could keep zooming in and having more and more subcategories and sub subcategories and sub sub subcategories. Um, but like, you know, all that does is create like a lot more confusion. Um, so I mean, it's not, there's not necessarily an easy answer to this conundrum. Um, but yeah, it's very, it's very annoying the grocery aisle trying to find eggs. I usually. Pragmatically speaking, if I, if I have to go to a grocery store and buy eggs, I'll just buy the most expensive ones. Um, but that's probably not the best heuristic. But it's what I use. <laughs> yeah, it's. I guess that's kind of a fair way to look at it
0: too. Is where a lot of times, especially in the egg section, the less expensive ones are going to be the the lowest quality, and the most expensive yeah. ones will generally be the yeah the best quality. I'm, I'm I'd be interested to see like the the margins too. that. That's another thing that always sort of, you know, we have no access to that as consumers, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's a a fair way to understand sort of this push for plant-based food because those have such a, a bigger margin than, than something Mm -hmm. like meat. So of course, big food, grocery stores are going to be pushing
1: that. So it's a good, it's a very interesting point. Um, so we actually do know, or at least I do because I like sell packaged food product into like grocery stores. And so like I have some of this information, um, like your standard grocery store in America, like the store itself charges forty five percent off the sticker price. Like that's what they take. So, ten dollar eggs, uh, the grocery store gets forty five or four dollars and fifty cents right off the bat. Um, then about another ten percent off the top line price goes to the distributor. Um, and, and obviously, there's differences in you know dairy or eggs or packaged foods and whatever, but it's generally similar across grocery but there are of course distinctions, but let's just pretend this is like your standard average grocery product, $10, whatever. 450 goes to the grocery store, about another 10% off the top line. So a dollar goes to the distributor. So 550 goes to the distributor and the grocery store. That means the farmer is left with, if I could do math, 450, I think. Um, And that's what the farmer gets. On $10 eggs, the farmer gets 450. and then, of course, they have to pay the people that work on their farm. They have to pay for the chickens. They have to pay for the packaging, right? The egg cartons themselves, the washing of the eggs, the uh, feed that goes into the chickens. Um, if, of course, we don't like this, but if they're using antibiotics and all sorts of other chemicals, they have to pay for the chemicals. Um, they have to pay to do their branding. They have to do all that stuff out of that four fifty. Um, and then they still have to like make a living and like, you know, support their family off of that $10 product. So companies like the target for companies that like, you know, and this is probably a lot lower for eggs specifically. Cause it's like a local smaller scale thing, but the target for companies across the food sector is like, they want to have a 40% gross margin, which means that of the $4 and 50 cents about two fifty of it. Um, sorry, about $2 of it is the cost, like the actual cost of the eggs whether that's the chickens or the the whatever um or you know the ingredients whatever it is so that means they're left out of a $10 um product they're left with 250 and so what, by gross margin um wait sorry no no they're left with the $2 the 250 is the cost the gross margin is 40% so yeah they're left with about $2 and out of the $2 that's where they spend their marketing dollars their payroll their hr software their website like all of the other sort of fixed costs that go into running a farm um, or running their business, they have to spend out of that $2. And then after that, maybe they have like 10 cents left over, like 50 cents maybe. That's what they can take home to their family. So like $10 eggs, they get maybe 50 cents in like actual profit. Um, And that's like, I mean, this is the problem with food, right? And not, (laughs) it's not that like, the, the, it's not necessarily the quality quality is a function of like the money that farmers have, or at least they think they have. Um, it's less even a function of like regulation or whatever else. It's like, there's just so much grift in the supply chain such that like the actual person who's like putting their sweat and tears into like making eggs, like gets the 50 cents on $10 of food. And so you, the customer are like, damn, these eggs are so expensive. Well, guess what? Farmer gets 50 cents. Um, so like that right there is the problem. And I mean, it's unclear how that can be solved. Well, there's, there's some options, right? There are some potential solutions. Um, but like without fixing that, like food's just going to be always expensive. This is what it is. You really broke that down,
0: broke that down in, in a deep and illuminating way from, you know, the entire, yeah. the entire cash flow. Basically I, I see a pie chart in my mind and it's all just being taken away by like middlemen yeah. essentially
1: yeah pretty much so it's like maybe like five percent is what the act like of the sticker price like in your head and you're going to grocery store next time you're there like that's what you should think oh five percent actually goes to the person who made that yeah (laughs) crazy we
0: we really pay premium for convenience you know just to like have it Mm -hmm. in this you know this fluorescent lit store kind of every day Mm -hmm. at a consistent time the other crazy thing is just like you know, the farmers take on all
1: the risks too. It's a dynamic living system that's For creating sure. this
0: food. It's not just being generated out of the air, So, yeah. you know, it doesn't always happen.
1: I mean, the grocery store, like they, they're fine. Like people will show up and like buy whatever's on the shelves. Like they know this, Um, you know, they have prime real estate, like in shopping centers or like on, you know, city streets and whatever. They They don't have any issue with this. The farmers are the ones that are like, oh wait, you know, some other guy could come in with like a undercut them by 30 cents. And then all of a sudden, like, They are our businesses disappeared. They rely on distributors. So the distributors like know that they got the farmers by the balls. So like the farmers kind of have to do what the distributors say. There's different dynamics at play in different industries. Like dairy is pretty different than like packaged foods and whatnot. Um, But yeah, the people who produce the food don't really have much of a say in the matter, um, especially if they're small. Um, And I mean, obviously that's a huge issue. And like, but the thing is at the same time you say, oh, the grocery stores are like these the grifters, right? They take 45%. The actual like margin that they make, like after they uh, pay their rent and then pay for their employees and pay for electric bills and all the other things, grocery takes home in America on average, like 1.5%. That would be like a good grocery business. So after all said and done, after they take their $4.50, like they actually have about 15 cents on the $10 eggs as profit. Um, so if you think about like a small chain of local grocery stores, maybe a family has been in the it gen- it's been in their family for like three generations. Um, they have like 10 stores or whatever. Um, and like, yeah, they, they do a couple you know, 20, $30 million in sales a year, but they only see like $1 million, uh, or less like over the entire operation. As like profit for them, like the owners who've been doing this for like three generations. So you can see how at the grocery end too, there's strong financial incentives for consolidation. Because like if Whole Foods makes 1.5% on all their stores and they have hundreds of stores and they charge a lot of money for their items because it's Whole Foods, um, then it starts to be a serious business. But if it's like, if you were an owner of say like three stores that were similar to Whole Foods, you not you not make very much money, um. So the grocers kind of like get like cornered out of the market too, and so you end up like basically what's left is you end up with these companies because the margins are like the, the final profits are so small. Um, they just need to have so many stores or so many farms or you know sell so many units in order to make any significant amount of money, and that's why you see all this sort of consolidation in the market. Wow, yeah, it's. It's so when I think about things like this, it's wild that anything in our economy works
0: because it's like this for a lot of things too, like clothes, you know, mm-hmm. I know you write, write a lot about polyester versus natural fabrics and the reason why, you know, everything is polyester because it's made dirt cheap in China and shipped right. all the way over here. And it's just, this is, it's like this every, with everything, it seems like yeah. it's, it's incredibly bizarre.
1: Yeah. Cause like, so like, how is it that, you know, you can make a uh, fabric out of like petroleum Right. We had to like, humanity had to like invent the ability to like dig up oil from the ground and then invent the ability to turn that oil into like polyester and then turn polyester threads into like sheets of fabric, roll them up and then ship those fabric sheets, like those rolls of fabric to like a factory where people cut it out and like, sew it together and then ship those clothes all the way back over here. Right. And sell them at a store, which has its own 45% margin. And then, you know, the American consumer can buy it and it's still cheaper than if, you know, you had like like a leather or cotton, like item, like made like down the street from you, like, how does it even make sense? Um, it's kind of, it's kind of wild to think about, but like, if you, I mean, the, the reason why I'll explain why it makes sense is that the most expensive cost in anything is like the labor, like the people, um. That's the most expensive cost so like even though you have to ship fabric halfway across the world twice or have like chemical distillation plants to turn petroleum into fabric um all of that is cheaper relative to labor like at scale and so there's a very strong incentive for companies to do everything they possibly can to reduce the amount of labor that they have to spend um or or just the amount of labor like the number of people they have to employ the hours they have to employ that's got to go as close to zero as possible Um, because people want to buy cheap stuff. And so at the end of the day, it comes down to that. Right. And like, this is kind of a sort of prisoner's dilemma, like perverse incentive thing, because not only you, the customer want to buy cheap stuff, but like by doing that, you're depriving your fellow people of like a job that makes them money, which then they can spend money on presumably at the company that you work for, which like would make you money, you know? But, at the, at the, you know, where everyone in humanity is like taking the opposite corner of the prisoner's dilemma where we're like, oh, we're not going to spend any money. And the employees are, and the employers are like, we're going to fire everyone. And so then everything is cheap, but no one has any money, you know. So, like, if everything were expensive, but people would have more money, like, right, like, <laughs> it's not better. But no, everything's cheap and no one has any money, um, except for the companies that, like, own the scale. And because if you own the scale, then you get your whatever, 1.5 percent. But, hey, 1.5 percent of hundred billion dollars is still a shit ton of money. And and that's where the consolidation comes in. It's
0: insane. It's insane to be at this end of that, of the process because we're, you know, I'm 32. I don't know. How old are you? Probably somewhere near your, your twenties, 27, I think. Yeah. 20- sounds about right. So it's like, yeah, we're, we're just being born in this time where like, all oh, this is kind of already developed. There's so much momentum behind it. Mm-hmm. And, we're, and and it's getting to this point where there's some pretty dramatic, downstream consequences, the externalities are just piling up and, and it's, it feels like such a David versus Goliath kind of moment, mm. which is, which is why it's great to see what you're doing, where you've learned some of these problems and you're taking action to, to solve it for, if you were, um, a software engineer previous to starting Masa, right? Right. That's correct. What was, what was that like? And how did you really decide to just say, Hey, you know what, I'm going to leave this aside. I'm going to, I'm going to
1: make a, a chip company out of, you know, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I like, I made a lot of money and I worked very little, like classic big tech. Right. Um, I mean, I know in the industry, there's been a lot of layoffs for the past few months. Uh, that's been like kind of making news and whatnot. Um, but honestly, it makes sense. Like if I were at the company, I would also do that. Like I was unnecessary half of my colleagues are probably also not my, maybe not on my team specifically, but certainly like a lot of the people that worked there were highly, highly unnecessary. Um. And they just don't need to be there. And so it's like there's this tendency toward efficiency that like companies want to do or companies want efficiency. And so, I mean, they fire a bunch of people. Is it better for society for like useless people to be working for companies and like at least getting a paycheck and not being on the streets? Or should the companies fire everyone just like get as most efficiency out of their existing workforce as they can? Um, But yeah, so I was... An engineer i worked there for about two years um starting more or less after i graduated school and i like i just i just didn't like it just did not resonate with me it's not anything against like the type of work itself i have no issue with coding it's like very fun it's like you just get to do math problems all day um and like the people are i would say more or less innocuous um at least you know the engineers are I not making any claims about what goes on in HR or public policy or who knows what um, but in engineering the people are relatively innocuous um but it was just very like it's just very useless you know I'm like like cool they pay me but so what right like I don't have like the food sucks the food's terrible people are unhealthy people are sick and like no one seems well not no one but like not many people seem to be doing anything about it And so, fortunately, I was able to find an opportunity that I thought would be able to like pay my bills, um, that would allow me to do something about it while also, you know, keeping my lights on. And that's that's what I've been doing. And after a certain point, I was I was probably I quit my job in like September, September second, I think was my last day. And so we sold our first bag of moss chips like at the end of July. So there was about. Pretty much a month and a half. Obviously, we had been working on it ahead of time, but there was about a month and a half of actual sales. And then I was like, you know what? I'm like wasting my time. I have like my boss like messaging me to like have a one-on-one once a week. And I'm like, dude, I'm like hand knee, elbows deep in tallow. You know, I can't talk. You know, I understand that like I work for you, but like there's no, right? So that was happening for like about a month. And it was just very psychologically frustrating. Um, a lot of people were like, no, you shouldn't quit. You should just like let them fire you. Or like just still just do two hours of work a day or whatever, but like I have to do, like for my brain to be able to apply the creativity and effort to this thing, I need to be able to focus on that. Um, so I uh, I jump ship, and um, it's been it's been great since then. Yeah, can't complain. I mean, I don't have health insurance, but like I don't need it, right? <laughs> like <laughs> this is how that works. This is why you, this is why we're healthy.
0: <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's that's a. It's a powerful story, man. It's so rare for someone to make that decision, especially in your position where you're getting getting paid a lot of money to do a little bit of work. Like like you said, that's yeah. You know, a lot of people would see that as as kind of winning the lottery.
1: Because a lot of consultants, right? Like consultants or bankers, like work 100 hours a week, you know. And like then it's like okay, obviously, yeah, you can't start a side gig, you can't do anything else. But like in tech, you know, I was like unironically working, like. Especially for the last few months, I was more focused on Massa. And to be fair, if I continued at this performance, like for maybe like a year, they would have probably fired me. But it would taken a long time. It would have taken a long time for that to happen. But for the last few months I was I was doing about five hours a week. Like unironically. It's not an exaggeration. Um and and it was fine, right? You know, like remote work, you know, no one no one's keeping tabs on you. If I had to go to an office, that would have been a huge problem because you'd have had to show up. So like, actually crazy to think about how like COVID enabled all of this, like without COVID, we would for sure not be sitting here right now, like for sure. Um, so, I mean, you know, silver linings and everything. Um, but, but yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely, it's definitely, you know, grabbing, grabbing life by the balls or whatever. Um, but you know, it, it, it encourages better work, right? Cause now I have to actually make this thing succeed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, definitely seems like more
0: of a, a path of self actualization where you're, you know, engaged with, with life a lot more.
1: Yeah. Like I would never think about my job outside of work. You know, I would never think about work outside of work. If anything, I would try not to think about it, but now it's like, there's nothing else that I think about. Um, and it's like uh, potentially annoying to some of, uh, like to my girlfriend, for example, cause it's like, I'll be like in a daze, like at dinner, like, what are you thinking about? Oh, chips, you know, naturally. <laughs> It's
0: exciting. Do do you have like a big when you when you think about the future of masa? Do you see like other flavors? Do you think you'll fry other things in tallow as like a a big sort of snack food brand where you're seed oil free? Or
1: do you have oh oh for sure for sure yeah we're uh we're gonna launch a flavor um our first flavor uh that'll probably be available in early February I'm guessing um possibly a bit later but so we're gonna have a first flavor of our corn chips and, and I don't know we'll do. I like to do this whole thing where we like make a limited run of like a new flavor, you know, every month or so. And then it's like, oh, the flavor of the month and whatever. Then we, you know, it's like limited edition, only a thousand bags ever made. like something like this. Um, That would be pretty cool. I think I I was kind of averse to it at first um, because I only eat unflavored things generally like corn chips, no exception. Like I'll put salsa or cheese or guac on it. But I've been thinking that, like, a lot of people eat, like, Doritos and other sort of, like, flavored chips, like, just by themselves. And I'm like, well, we could just do that and replace that with, like, replace the chemical engineered food with, like, real, like, fair trade, like, single origin, like, spices from, like, some organic farm in, like, Sri Lanka or whatever. Um, and we could just, you know, real spices are amazing. There's such a complex array of flavors. You don't need, like, a chemical engineering degree to, like, be able to make a chip flavor. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to do that. And and you know frying other types of carbs in tallow is uh is definitely on the way, but I'll I'll leave that a bit more vague. But you know we'll, we'll be seeing more of that over the next like probably probably in Q two next year. Uh, we'll be seeing some of that. Exciting! You're coming after Doritos.
0: You're taking taking take <laughs> them down.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Tostitos at first. Now now the eyes are set on Doritos. <laughs> um, it'll be curious to see like if you know the sort of people whose palates have been adjusted to like chemical engineered food, like what's as spicy and rich as like natural spices are. I'm curious to see if like, it's still stimulating for them or if they're going to be like, Oh, this tastes like nothing. Cause it's not like cool ranch, nacho, whatever the hell, you know, from, from a, from a test tube. Yeah.
0: It's, it's tough. I, I, so I work for a health food store online, um, Thrive Market, and I've eaten a, an enormous volume of different nice. natural foods, just like health foods, over the years. And it, it's wild to see one, just like the creativity of, of these companies. But two, a lot of times, these products do fall flat in the flavor department when they try to, you mm-hmm. know, make something compete with with um, any of the big food options. Yeah. Or it's
1: difficult. Like flavor, flavor is a fascinating concept, especially when we're talking about packaged yeah.
0: goods that are shelf stable.
1: There's a big issue in the health foods market and it's. Fu- I'm, I'm glad you mentioned this. Um, like, health foods are... Like, no one likes health foods. Like, health foods are gross. Like, I don't know about you, but, like, it, all the healthy foods that I eat are, like, I cooked it, you know? There's, there's, like, basically no health foods that I can, like, go to the supermarket and, like, buy, or, like, Whole Foods and buy that are, like, branded as healthy or whatever that are actually, like, good. It's all a very sorry excuse for like the actual thing, like, and, and the customers of these products, like for the most part, like they don't enjoy them either. They're just buying them because they think it's healthy. Um, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, um, different products are vary, of course, but like they'll buy it because they think it's healthy, but it's not like a fundamentally enjoyable experience. And I think this is the big insight into like American culture that is like, like the founding insight of like this company. Right. Is that everyone thinks health foods are gross, like just by default? Maybe not our you know type of followers or our type of people, but like your average everyday American, like oh, if it tastes good, it must be bad for you. Everyone says that, right? You know, why is all the good food, why is all the good tasting food bad for me? Like I'm sure you've heard your like family say that or something. Everyone thinks this, and conversely, um, if like if it tastes good, they think it must be bad for them. Like, why is all the good food taste, why is all the tasty food, like, so bad for me? You know, why is that? So, like, at the one hand, you have that everyone thinks that all the food that tastes good must be bad for them. And they're, like, you know, guilty about it. They're, like, oh, it tastes so good, but, you know, I feel guilty. I'll go run on the treadmill for, like, 20 miles or something. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have the people who are buying healthy foods who think, you know, they're, like, oh, I'm going to do something good for my body, but, like, I'm going to have to suffer through it. And it's going to be unenjoyable. And you show up at the party with the bag of healthy chips. And everyone was like, oh, here's the weirdo coming with your healthy foods that taste like cardboard. (laughs) And it's like a meme, but it's like true. Like, I'm not going to name names. um, But, you know, you can go to Whole Foods right now and buy a very popular brand of healthy, quote unquote, tortilla chips. And, you know, they'll taste like actual cardboard. Like, they're disgusting. Like, I'm not trying to insult anyone. They just are, you know. And the only people who buy them buy them because they feel like they have to not because they want them. No one wants those things, right? Um so what we're trying to do is we're trying to create like healthy foods that are well, a actually healthy and not just like branded like healthy because they have flax seeds or something. But, like actual health foods that taste as good or better than like the junk food like mainstream version. Um and that's a thing that just does not exist, right? Um I don't know if you can think of any examples. There's maybe like maybe one or two. Um, like, I don't know, like the Epic meat bars, those are pretty good. But those are like, sort of, they're still not like a crunchy snack food, right. Um, but yeah, so that's something that doesn't exist. And so not only are we making it exist, like the end result of all of this is like, we're going to change the impression that most people have culturally of health foods as a concept. Like, we're re- we're going to redefine how Americans think that like good food like is bad for you and that like bad food, like, you know, uh, healthy food tastes bad, we're redefining that and going to like give people the truth, which is that the best food tasting wise is the healthiest food for you because it's real and that's what we're putting forth. Um, and I think that is why, like, this is why I think it will succeed where like, you know, your, your, uh, your everyday, like flax protein bar is going to fail. Um, because it's actually good and people want to buy it, even if they don't know anything about seed oils or pesticides or whatever, they'll still want it. Cause it tastes good. That was a really great speech. That, that was a powerful <laughs> riff. It just <laughs> nailed
0: it. Right. Bullseye. Exactly what I've been thinking about for a long time.
1: You articulated that in, in a beautiful way because it's so true. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. It's like, I'm sure you have friends that aren't as healthy as you and you like bring your healthy foods and they'll be like, Oh, here comes case with his cardboard or something like you know, or like his lamb testicles. I don't know. I don't know what foods you're into, but it's like, they think it's weird. They do. And it's sad because it's not, or well, it doesn't have to be. Um, and the health food market just in such a bad job of like promoting itself, like as a cultural concept, uh, which is why we're not trying to have any sort of the brand connotations of health food. Um, that's, that's why we also focus on the sort of very alluring, like imagery, the sun, the beach, like the, the tanning, the, the, minimalism, the nice colors, um, the beauty aspect, like I'm not, we're not trying to make this seem like a health food because if we do, then people will assume it tastes bad, right? we want to overcome that assumption. So, so all of that's informed by the aesthetic take we have to the branding, um, which I, which I think is also like fairly unique as far as health foods are concerned.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It's powerful. You're taking sort of a, a big tech approach to, to, uh, marketing this thing as if it's, you know, a new iPhone and in a lot of ways it is, it's high technology. You know the food is a is a technology and, and the entire yeah. packaged food industry is is a is a technology you know every, there's a ton of high technology involved with with all the food that you buy at the grocery store and you you write about um i think you're probably talking about siete <laughs> I, I can probably name them on the your, I didn't really, never heard of them
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: the The funny thing about this is and this is something you point out. Too in your writing where if you think about, okay, it's an avocado oil, but is that really avocado oil? Yeah. Could, you know, if you were to test it, what do you think the odds are that it's cut with something like canola or well, um, I'm not
1: going to impugn like their integrity. I doubt they are sitting in their back rooms, although I don't know who they are of course, but I I doubt anyone is sitting in their back rooms, like mixing canola oil into the avocado oil and like cackling, you know, as they do it. (laughs) However, um, the avocado oil supply chain um, is sort of screwed up. Um, avocado oil comes from like mostly comes from Mexican drug cartel owned farms in Mexico, um, and there's not very much supply chain transparency in that market. I mean, even olive olive oil, which is like much more regulated and much more traditional, like longstanding and highly developed, and there's a lot more like oversight and insight into it. Um, a lot of olive oil is like fake. And so take some like avocado oil, which like we literally know that like drug cartels own these farms. And we also know that there's like zero oversight and they're putting it in a bottle that says avocado oil. And then we've tested it, right? The USC study that did that, like 86% of them are like rancid or adulterated. Um, It's not looking good. And I mean, those are the ones on the shelves too. You would imagine that like the premium quality oils meant for like consumer exposure would be the ones on the shelves. And the lower quality is the one that gets put into the packaged food. So I have my doubts. Um, And I mean, I also like I go by taste, right? This is how you and and people should go by taste. This is how you should evaluate if foods are good. um, If they're healthy for you. Like if they're good for you, they'll taste good. Like this is true. Um, You know, there may be some edge cases where this doesn't apply. Like if you're on like an industrial diet and like the next day you stop eating Doritos, your taste buds may be like calibrated wrong. Um, But if you've like reset your palate by like eating natural foods, then for sure your taste buds are the thing that you should be using to guide you um and i've definitely eaten a lot of these sort of healthy snack items and some of them are just like revolting like i'll have to spit it out and it's like no there's no way that that's actually like a healthy food um if you want to just keep it simple you can use that method absolutely it's
0: more than just the you know sweet sour salty savory yeah. sort of taste that we that we have on, on the tongue there's a real intelligence to the entire system it links up with our brain and yeah. that's linked to our entire body and probably even more beyond that just by putting something in, into the mouth that there's a lot more that we can detect
1: yeah like your body will know right like we're animals too right i mean your dog knows like what it should eat based on how it tastes like it doesn't does your dog read the label of the food that your pet <laughs> food that you're giving him or like does the dog read the label on, like, the roadkill that he's, like, digging into? Like, the, the deer that died in your backyard? Of course not. He knows what tastes good to him. Of course, like, the big danger of this is that when um, – it's not just about taste. It's actually a much broader point. Like, we have good instincts that, like, exist to enable our survival and thriving, right? Our instincts for, you know, if it's cold or hot or if that tastes good or our instincts for hunger or, like, tiredness or whatever – all of these are very good and very useful. Um, the problem is that instincts developed, you know, in a sort of dialectical process with nature over thousands, millions of years to refine like what is good and bad based on the natural environment. And so, if something tastes good, like that's because it developed over thousands of years of exposure to that food and the body recognizing like, hey, that's good for me, right? That's how taste evolved. That's how all instincts evolved. So the issue with all of this. Um, and why like in some cases you can't trust your instincts is because modern society is able to do things that are unnatural and therefore they're able to hijack your instincts where they're stimulating the instinct in a way that seems desirable to the, to like the amygdala or whatever. Um, But the actual stimulus being that it's artificial is not desirable. Um, And so a, a great example of this, of course, is like porn, you know, classic everyone wants to talk about that, but like, the sex feeling like it feels good right like this is a thing that like our instinct didn't learn how to deal with over millions of years because we never had exposure to something like porn so you have to, you're unable to trust your senses in that instance and the big danger and the very sad tragedy of all of this is that because of so many harmful stimuli surrounding us in society people have become begun to mistrust their own instincts because they've know they've noticed that listening to their instincts gives them a a bad result, right? It listening to my instincts of like what tastes good might give me a bad result if I'm surrounded by junk food or listening to my instincts of what feels good may give me a bad result. If I'm surrounded by like, you know, synthetic drugs or, you know, porn or whatever else. So like the real tragedy of like these sort of artificial inventions is that they cause people to mistrust their instincts, not only though, when it applies to artificial things, but when it applies to everything. And so you have so many people who want to be healthy or whatever, of all these crazy conceptions in their head of like, oh my God, that healthy food tastes good. That can't be good for me, right? Because society has trained people to become mistrustful of their instincts, um, they're no longer able to take recourse to like maybe the one aspect of true knowledge that we have access to as humans. Um, And yeah, I mean, that's like a a sad, sad state. And the only way to really rectify this is to remove those harmful stimuli or sorry, those artificial stimuli from your environment. And then you can truly trust your instincts. Absolutely. And that's a really powerful
0: point. I'm glad that you made that. The, the other question that I had on, on mine pivoting a little bit, somewhat unrelated was the other product that you made the seed oil sensitivity card. I know that, yeah. that, that got made some serious viral waves online. Did you know that was going to make such a, such a broad like impact?
1: <laughs> yeah, that was, that was crazy. Well, so first off it, there's nothing to sell. It's just, it's free. There's no product there. Um, uh, it is, it's, it's just like, a little index card that's, like, helpful to tell your waiter, like, hey, what seed oils are bad. When I first in- came up with that idea, I don't exactly know where I got the idea from. Um, I remember, I think, hearing that, like, a friend of a friend, like, was a sort of, like, very, like, wealthy, prima donna-type character, and, like, he had a little index card that, your business card that he gave to, like, waiters at, like, fancy restaurants that would, like, say all his dietary preferences. And so I think I heard about that and I was like, huh, I should do something like that with seed oils. And then I I decided to come up with it and I was like putting it together and I'm like, huh, what do I call this thing? And I decided to call it seed oil sensitivity for the simple reason that like people do not take preferences seriously, but they do take allergies seriously. Um, And so if you show up at a party or at the restaurant or whatever, and you're like, oh, I don't want to eat seed oils. Everyone's like, who do you think you are? You know (laughs) what? This food isn't good enough for you. You know, I can eat it. It's not gonna. What are you better than us? Right. That's the reaction. Um, and waiters have a sort of similar sort of reaction when it's like, oh, an annoying customer. But for better or for worse, society like treats sort of victims with more respect, I think, or more accommodating. They're more accommodating of such people. So if you say, oh, no, 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 I can't eat that. I'm allergic. Well, all of a sudden it's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I'll make you something else. If it's like your family party or whatever, like, what can I make you that you can eat? You know, or like, oh, sure, we'll talk to the chef. We'll, we'll get this, you know, we'll make something else. Um, so that's why I decided to brand it as like CTOA sensitivity. I'm not entirely sure that that um, the purpose of that, like, I think that might have been lost on many people, um, but it was very controversial, which I didn't really expect. And It was controversial in interesting ways, like, like the lines being drawn, like the coalitions who were like supporting it and against it were like not exactly what I would have expected to see um so yeah that was that was pretty fun <laughs>
0: yeah
1: yeah that was I, I love the
0: internet sometimes where it's just like it takes blows things way out of proportion and, and all these memes yeah. are
1: sort of created then you've got like memes off of memes and it just yeah. like spirals out of control yeah and it's like like i think it's it comes from like a, a lack of i mean my intention is not for you to like show up at a wendy's and give this to a waiter there or not even a waiter whatever or like a chick-fil-a or chili's or something like that's not the intention but then there were people who were commenting like you know, oh, I worked at a kitchen and I would like spit in your food or something or like, oh, the wait staff are already stressed out and overworked and all these things. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm not really trying to use this in like an Applebee's. It's like at a, at a fancy restaurant, like, a, you know, a restaurant where they cook the food individually. Right. Maybe that's very expensive. Maybe it's not that expensive, but a restaurant where they cook the food individually I mean, those people are already used to accommodating dairy allergies and gluten allergies and peanut allergies and shrimp and seafood allergies and every other type of allergy you can imagine. So why can't they accommodate this one? I mean, you're the paying customer after all, right? Um, so, yeah, I think, I think that was pretty fun. I hope it catches on more. But, uh, but yeah, I think that would be a very – it would help our movement a lot. I'll say that because as of right now, the mainstream person thinks, you know, we're just like hypersensitive, like overreacting, like, you know, whiners basically – Um, which is fair to understand where they're coming from, but, um, branding it as this sort of like, you know, we can't, it's like, it's bad. Like I'm going to get injured, which I mean, I literally will. Like I eat seed oil fries, I'll spend four hours, like wanting to kill myself, like sitting on the bat, sitting on the toilet, you know? Um, so is if that's not a sensitivity, I don't know what is, you know,
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's and it. I mean, those guys. This is the the bit. The worst thing about the whole seed oil thing is restaurants, and and it's like, okay, what do we do about that? There's not much that we can do, and you've got a solution here. And yeah. how how much different is it really to put like a you know tablespoon or two of butter instead of yeah. seed oils? Like yeah. the cost is is not that much of a difference. The process isn't that much of a difference. No. So it's like, hey, we're
1: gonna take a stab at this. If they got almond flour in the back or they got gluten-free flour in the back, like that's way more silly than having butter. You know, butter is like actually real food. Like, all, like you know, almond coconut flour. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's go take a time machine back to like Polynesia when like the natives were like turning coconuts into flour. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Right? Like, <laughs> no, you know, butter is a real food. Uh, and, you know, dude, charge me a, a, a seed oil-free $2 surcharge. Happy to pay it. Happy to pay it, you know? Um, and I mean, it's, the thing is like, it's nothing's going to change until, like the market determines what changes, right? And so if the customers are saying, hey, I don't want this, I'm not eating at your restaurant as long as you have it. And, you know, here, I'll pay you more if you make it another way, then the market will change. But that only happens over time with people actually like saying that. Um, And so if you're, you know, if you're going to go to a restaurant, not be willing to say anything, and then you're going to complain that like there's seed oils in the food at restaurants, then I mean, like you have yourself to blame, you know?
0: And it's, it's, it's been a general theme of of our conversation overall and of what you're doing in the world, which I really appreciate you taking the courage to make these things and and make it happen and and be that sort of spark that other people can, can look up to and and support and, and be a part of. So I I just want to say thank you for, for the work that you're doing and, and taking
1: the time to talk to me today on this. Cool. My pleasure. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, that's really nice to hear.